Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. And today we are joined by a very special guest, our mom. Hi. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Woohoo. This is Michelle. We are so pumped that you're here in the Zoom studio with us. This is very exciting. Our second guest ever on the Dora Sisters podcast. And today we will be talking about the time travel episodes in Star Trek Enterprise. Enterprise. And I just want to note that even though our mom is Michelle Hurd, she's not Rafi from Picard, in case there's any confusion. Um, Later, if you're wondering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Michelle Hurd. I get that all the time, though. Yeah. Yeah. In the street, she's constantly stopped. (laughs) I was actually in a pharmacy asked one time, not if I was the Michelle Hurd, but if I knew that there was someone famous with my name. Wow. And I, and I think God knew because, you know, I would be like ousted from my family. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't realize that. Today we are talking about Enterprise and I am so excited. And mom, I would like you to talk a little bit about your experience with Enterprise and Star Trek and basically how you started watching Star Trek way back. Yeah, in the way back. <laughs> Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. I actually had to look up, well, when did Star Trek really begin? And it was in the 1960s, which of course you guys know. And I was born in 72. But when we started watching Star Trek, I really felt like we were watching it in real time. I didn't know I was a kid. I started watching it when I was probably six. And we lived in Brighton, Colorado. And we had this big giant console TV. And for any of you that don't know what a console TV is, it's a TV that's in this big wooden box and usually it's on wheels and you can roll it around to different places of the house (laughs) so we did our time with my brothers my dad and my mom and my dad would flip the tv around towards the dining room table and we would watch star trek as a family while we ate dinner again i didn't know at the time because i was six or maybe seven that we were seeing reruns of star trek of course the original series that's my early experience of getting into star trek as a young young person Wow. Okay. I did not even know what a console TV was. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought I would explain it because it was bought from Montgomery Ward, which is also not a company what? anybody probably what? <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love this history lesson of technology. That's so interesting. And I love that family oriented Star Trek watching time because that's honestly what Ashlyn and I grew up with too, is watching reruns of the original series with you and with our dad. It's fun that it's sort of full circle. Yeah, exactly. And it was just something we all knew was going to happen. And it never seemed goofy or weird. It was just this is Star Trek and Star Trek was amazing. And so I never grew up thinking anything about it being new and different because I was a young watcher, right? I look back on that and I think how lucky I was. 
I'm curious, have you seen original series recently? Have you ever gone back and watched the whole thing? Yeah, I've watched a few with Rihanna. She and I have gotten on and watched a few together. Trouble with Tribbles, things like that. When I've been watching other series to have some context of, oh, that's right. There was this episode that also had Tribbles and it would be fun to connect those two. So I've done that. And it's just so different, as you know, watching any old series compared to the new fan things it's just a laugh it's a laugh riot like the ship is coming in and you're seeing essentially the strings that are holding <laughs> the ship <laughs> absolutely anyway, yeah I love it mom is kind of a Star Trek legend for us we've talked about this before on the pod that she is the one who showed us the original series movies who really kickstarted our love for Star Trek into warp nine we were out visiting our stepdad's family in Georgia and we we watched, I don't know, four of the Star Trek movies. Maybe, I mean, I don't think we got through all of the original series movies, but we were cruising. Like we watched a ton on that trip. So it's just cool. You passed on your love of Star Trek to us. And now we're doing a little reversal because now mom has been going back and watching some of the other different series. So which Star Trek series have you seen now, mom? Oh my gosh. Well, right now I'm watching Voyager and I am a big fan of Enterprise, which is why it's so apropos that I'm on with you all today. Deep Space Nine, I love, love, love. And you've seen Discovery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You didn't ask me which my favorite is of the series. But tell us. Yeah. I I don't know (laughs) if I can yet. I'm kind of a purist in this way because I've not seen Picard and Next Generation. I only saw really as I was growing up, but I've not gone through and done a whole rewatch. So I've seen just smattering. So for now, the ones that I've seen, I love Enterprise and Deep Space Nine, I was taken with right away. Like I could not stop watching. I was initially just watching the pilots during their pilot series. I thought, well, how fun, I'll do that too. And I watched the Deep Space Nine pilot and I (laughs) texted the girls and I said, I can't watch any more pilots. I'm deep into Deep Space Nine. (laughs) So if I had to choose one that I've watched now, it's Deep Space Nine. But I will hold out for telling you my real answer once I've gotten through all the series. I love this. It's been really interesting talking to different generations of Star Trek fans, especially over Twitter. And then even in real life, there's a lot of people who just have different perspectives on their first series. And I think Gen X specifically has not seen a lot of original series, except when they were kids, but they really grew up watching The Next Generation. Our Aunt Jenny, who's a huge fan, is like a next-gen purist and hates the original series, even though it's what started it all. And so thank you for talking about your experience because it's just interesting to see what is the impetus for people to start watching Star Trek. And I am so happy that Deep Space Nine for you was the one that really pulled you in. I mean, I can't argue with that. It's it's one of the best shows. Yeah, Yeah. so good. And- if Jenny is ever on, I have to put this little plug in. Jenny is like a lot older than me. So of course she would think that Next Generation <laughs> is is the better or the series that she grew up with because she's so much older than I am. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> she is a few years. So I do think that there was a, a section of us who really just Next Generation just wasn't on our purview. Like we were starting to date and have boyfriends and all of that era yeah. and kind of missed the next generation you mean you weren't like cozying up with your boyfriends to watch tng (laughs) no i was not (laughs) we had a very different teenage years mom (laughs) 
Well, okay, then the obvious question next is who's your favorite character from all of Star Trek? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's was, the impossible question. Yeah. It is, right? It is. I thought long and hard about this, and it's just got to be Spock. It's just. Oh. <laughs> I was drawn to Spock and McCoy's interplay in the early years, mm-hmm. but really he sealed the deal for me with this one line I have been and always shall be your friend. <laughs> wow, mean, bringing us to tears such, here. Such a great, simple line that encapsulated everything that you love about a Vulcan or a half Vulcan in Spock's situation. But they are ultimately still going to have emotions that they have to work on. And I just really resonate with that with Spock. No matter how many walls we put up, we ultimately love the people that we love. I was actually just having this thought about to pull when I was watching all of these Enterprise episodes. I was thinking that same kind of sentiment. Yeah, we'll get into that more of that later, but I totally agree with you. And I am surprised to hear that it's Spock. I don't know why. I'm just, wow, I'm honored. I mean, that's like the best answer. Too. Yeah, I can't, you know, <laughs> Spock is amazing. Yeah, Well, you can't yeah. argue with that. <laughs> yeah. As you know, listeners, if you've been tuning in to our time travel series thus far, we have a fun segment in the beginning where we talk about if you could travel forward to any episode in Star Trek Enterprise, not just of the ones we watch, but any episode in all of the four seasons, what episode would you travel to? So mom, why don't you start us off? What episode would you like to travel to in Enterprise? Oh, E2, hands down. I would want to meet old T'Pol and all the great grandchildren, particularly mm. the Denobulans. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because I think that Flock's really got around. And so I imagine that with all of his wives and his generations to come, I love in the E2 episode when they're showing the little Denobulans running around, it just made me think about all the backstory for Flocks. And so anyway, yeah, that's the main thing is I would want to see like where did it all go you know we see this moment in time and how lucky we are that we get to travel with them to get to see what happens for their future great-grandchildren and so forth yeah really really cool that's an answer yeah that's a really good answer and something i hadn't considered but it would also be cool i like what you said about meeting old to because she's got just this infinite knowledge she's way more confident in her own emotions and herself and her being you know and i just love the advice she gives young to like we'll talk about this more when we discuss this episode here pretty soon but yeah mom fantastic answer i love that rihanna i want to know what your episode would be if you could travel to the future well i would honestly like to travel to the episode Carbon Creek because I freaking love the plot device used in this. I mean, technically, yes, it's to pull telling the story. So I would have to like travel in her brain with her or like be her. I don't know. But either way, I'd like to go back and see them crash land and actually have a pseudo first contact before first contact. That's such a cool, not discussed about piece of history, obviously, because it was just created in Enterprise. But it's such a great episode that features to pull who's one of my favorite characters in Enterprise. And it's just really fun and so interesting and I would love being like a part of this history that everyone else was like shocked about you know I just think that would be really fun I love that yeah and yeah could I come with you on that journey (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's all just mind meld with the poll and like learn all the facts (laughs) good 
Wow, your guys' answers make mine sound really shallow, but (laughs) I would want to travel (laughs) to the future to the episode Unexpected, which is where Trip gets pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Ashlyn, I almost chose that. Like, please tell us why. I'm really curious. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so something I just love about Enterprise is every time they meet a new species, they're so excited. And I can imagine they're on the frontiers of deep space. It's the first ship to leave Earth that's actually able to do its own free exploration on a warp-capable ship. And so when they meet that species that basically has a holodeck already, they're probably 100 years, 200 years more advanced than earth it seems like or even the vulcans and so i think that species is really cool i love the enthusiasm which the crew greets them it would be historical yeah i just think it's interesting to see and experience the first male pregnancy in the human species and i just think it'd be a fun one to be around and i'd love to take a spin on that holodeck a century before humans get to experience holodecks so Yeah, I just find overall Enterprise is very intense and heavy. And so there aren't a lot of fun light episodes that I would necessarily want to travel forward to. It's similar to Voyager also, where we talked about last week. There's just a lot of stress. (laughs) And I'd rather like not get involved in any of that Zindi stuff. So yeah. Well, Ashlyn, I have a quick clarifying question for this. Would you like to be like with Trip? Would you want to be Trip? Like- this is exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I was like, does she want to be a fly on the wall, or does she want to be impregnating Trip? What's, what's right. Happening? You want to put your hands in those beads? Like, what are we talking here? I think I want to be one of the Enterprise crew members that gets to go over on the ship and hang out with them. I would do that. Just experience the ship, but I wouldn't want to impregnate Trip. Well, maybe I would. I don't know. <laughs> you, you can see where the night took you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See how the beans flow. You know. <laughs> I also just want to do a quick note that we had some technical difficulties. So if you notice a difference in our audio, here we are. <laughs> Say lovey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one more order of business before we start. Usually we'd wait until the end of the episode to do other announcements, but we figure since mom is here for the beginning of our episode that she could be in on this exciting news. Because since we are nearing the end of our time travel series, we are now officially going to announce our newest series because it's my turn to choose a series since Ashlyn chose time travel I guess I'll do the announcing so for our next series we will be doing villains oh my gosh I have been waiting for this announcement because I of course am an avid listener villains oh so good people we love to hate exactly so we're gonna go over the best and worst villains in all of Star Trek. So we are very excited for this series. It's going to be a blast. And yeah, so thank you all for continuing to listen in our podcast. And thank you for listening to our time travel series. It's crazy that we're almost done with it. Yeah, thank you for making that announcement, Rihanna. I'm so excited. And the reason we're saying it so early is because we're just about wrapped up with this series. I think that Discovery is going to be our last episode because there are no time travel episodes in Picard or Lower Decks. Why don't we dive in and the episodes that we will be talking about today with our lovely mom here are Carpenter Street, E Squared or E2, and Stormfront Part 1 and 2. Ooh. 
Okay, so our first episode we'll be discussing today is Carpenter Street. And I just want to start a little bit at the beginning of this episode where we have this guy who seems pretty awful. He's like kidnapping this sex worker and taking her to this weird building, like hooking her up to these IVs and machines. It felt very X-Files to me, honestly, especially this early 2000s vibe, you know, just of it was very mysterious and an interesting way to start out this episode. But yeah, what were all of your impressions beginning of this episode? Well, personally, I get so excited about time travel that takes future people into times that they haven't lived in and they're confused. And so I like that they started this episode in a straight way where you are just plopped into this experience that's happening. You clearly know because you're watching a Star Trek episode that this is not the correct timeline, but you know there is something to come. So I really like how they started this out. Yeah, I felt similarly, and I was actually thinking about if I had just been channel surfing back in 2004 and happened to come across this scene, I would not realize that it was a Star Trek episode until we hear the jovial, it's been a long (laughs) road, until we hear the intro. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's definitely a great way to pull you into it. And I think it sets the tone that this time travel episode is not going to be let's go find the whales. This is not, let's see Tuvok in a crazy outfit. This (laughs) is a serious episode and something crazy is going on and it's very disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's something that you mentioned, Ashlyn, about Enterprise in general is it does have more of a serious tone and it's very evident here in all of these time travel episodes, I realize that they still have fun-loving elements to it because it's interesting to see these characters interact like when Archer and T'Pol are first coming down and Archer's trying to carjack and he takes three different cars to try to carjack because the first one what happens in the first one the first one because it was booted yes oh yeah there was and the one boot. had an alarm system and oh, the other yeah. had a dog, had a dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a dog. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so Archer's frantically checking this truck for any sort of is there a boot is there a dog like can I get into this one so it's funny to see as always these characters interact with the past technology and just sort of the past space that they're around but those are sort of the only fun and goofy parts of the episode is them interacting with old technology yeah, and I thought it was interesting that T'Pol really didn't have too much of a fight about this episode because Archer says right before he goes back, well, first of all, Daniels sends him back in time. And I think we have to start asking the question, or at least I'm going to start asking this question. Do we have any explanation about this technology that Daniel uses to send them back in time? Because to me, it seems like Archer just goes into a new room and it's suddenly the past. And that seems pretty established throughout all of the episodes. Thank you for saying that because I thought it might be something that I was missing, that it's this general knowledge that I maybe hadn't gleaned because it does seem like there's this underlying thing we're never really told about that actually makes him time travel. It's like going into the elevator is going to make him time travel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if this is like a button that he's pressing in the 30th, 31st century that is sending Archer back. You know, it's kind of a drag and drop situation. I don't know. And I don't think it's ever explained. Yeah. And T'Pol is very nonchalant about it, even though she's continually insisting that, what it, What does she say? The Vulcan science director has determined that time travel is impossible. 
<laughs> yeah. So this is her quote. This is the hill she's going to die on in all these episodes. And yet when she finds herself in 2004, she's just like, huh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Un- she takes, unimpressed. She takes a look around. She's like, hmm, I'm still not convinced. And Archer's like, really? Like, where are we? <laughs> yeah, but he was challenging her, right? He was saying, you've got to dispel this myth of what the Vulcans have always said is true because this is happening. And so get on board. We have to go do this thing. And I like, I think that's where you were going to, Ash, that she didn't fight him really in this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One piece I do want to say too about the whole time travel situation is that at least it's consistent. It's just consistently confusing. <laughs> like I don't understand how this technology works. We know that Daniels is from what, 900 years in their future. He goes back and forth. Sometimes he's he says he's in the 30th century. Sometimes he says he's in the 31st century. So it's, I don't know. Maybe he's, he's, he's a the traveler he's himself. The yeah. 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 He might be one of those who like saw the turn of the century. <laughs> I wrote this yeah. note around that same idea that it seems that Daniels is never sure about why the future will be impacted. And I wrote, come on, isn't this your job? Like, <laughs> yeah. Isn't this the only thing that you're supposed to be good at, Daniels? But he always is, to me, feels like this is urgent. You've got to go and stop the Zindi from destroying humanity. But there's always this question for him about how the future will be impacted, just negatively, basically. It's like a meteorologist in the weather. <laughs> it's yeah. like we don't really necessarily have to know exactly what this is going to do. We can just make a guess. He does say that a lot. I don't really understand the reasoning. He even has a line in this episode. Daniel says that the effects of time travel takes a little bit to ripple into the future. So whatever thing that he does in the 22nd century with Archer, it takes some time to ripple into the future. So Daniels does not know what the outcome will be. And we've just seen so many time travel episodes at this point that totally contradicts this and so I'm wondering if it's because it's some mumbo jumbo about the temporal cold war or something that just so many people are meddling with time at this point it might just be hard to predict and and I can kind of imagine if you're sitting somewhere really distantly in the future and something little has changed like oh maybe Abraham Lincoln died two days at a different show at the Ford Theater rather than that day we know he actually died. Like details like that wouldn't make a huge impact. And so it's possible that just small enough changes are being made that he's just not noticing them. But things like Zindi hanging out in Detroit (laughs) just (laughs) seems like it would make a bigger impact. Yeah, I'm not really convinced by Daniels in a lot of these episodes, but I do like him and I'm glad. I do. Yeah. I guess it's okay that he's figuring it out. He's just figuring it out. But, But I'm also really disturbed about that at the same time when it has such a big consequence as to the direction that he keeps pointing Archer and company in. Yeah, and it seems like some things really affect and cause changes and ripples right away, and then other things take gradual time. So maybe it is depending on the severity. This episode cracks me up because... This guy whose name is Loomis, this guy from the past, he's the most chaotic, neutral character I think we've met in a while in Star Trek because he just does not care that he's kidnapping these people. He just wants the money. Like, that's all he cares about. And he's getting a person of every blood type. Like, that's very suspicious. And he's hooking them up to these machines. 
does not care. And right. so and he's got yeah. all these people. And I love the line where I don't have it written down what exactly he said, but where he's like, yeah, it occurred to me yesterday after it sounded like weeks of taking people that they might be terrorists. I think he was comparing them to. And it was yeah. like, it occurred to you yesterday? Do this? What's, what's happening? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I thought that was a reference to the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers in 2001, because you have to kind of put your brain back in that time period where that's all everyone was thinking about was, yeah. oh my gosh, the Twin Towers. And so nowadays, I think if Discovery did an episode similar to this, I don't think they would call them terrorists, but because of the proximity to 9-11, that was definitely on everybody's mind. But I totally agree. These are some shady people. Yeah, I'm thinking <laughs> about this sooner than yesterday. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think T'Pol said the worst of humanity from one century, greed, corruption is like all right here and is focused on this, this guy that as they're punching him out and she's like, oh, in today's time, she'd be like, you're the worst. <laughs> Literally. And poor T'Pol, because she already has a bad view on humans. I mean, she's not as bad as the Vulcan ambassador or the Vulcans who are working with Starfleet because they have a very low opinion on humans and to Paul, you know, with being on Enterprise is starting to understand that humans are more than just bad people or make irrational or illogical choices. I don't blame her, honestly. I mean, she calls it that there's moral degradation. Clearly there is, especially with this guy. He just only cares about money. And I thought too that this felt a little bit like an ode to sort of a cop movie or some sort of I don't know, the style felt very much like I was watching Lethal Weapon or something, but maybe with less humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they actually stopped to get him fast food. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of Lethal Weapon, but that's exactly right. Like, we're going to go through the drive-thru, you know, with this guy and <laughs> and show how Archer and T'Pol don't know how to order from a drive-thru. I mean, it's cute. And also, it was an interesting parallel to other shows. Yeah, I really related to T'Pol in the drive through scene because I have been, Rhian and I have both been vegetarians for like 12 years or something, like a really long time. I mean, I just stopped eating at fast food restaurants because there's, I mean, nowadays it's getting better. Burger King has the Impossible Whopper, which actually is fantastic and like horrible for you, but it's not me and it's so good. <laughs> but in general, you can't go to a fast food restaurant and expect to eat anything other than fries. And so I really felt bad for T'Pol and she's horrified by the creepy meat when it jumps onto her leg <laughs> and she doesn't even want the fries and I also I can't blame her because you know there's like weird stuff especially like late there's night <laughs> it was so funny to see the lady who was working at the drive-thru be like you want to make that a combo for 50 cents more I'm like this is just a perfect definition of that type of humanity how we're just like oh you can get bang for your buck and we'll stuff you full of fast food. And of course, we can see through all of this, T'Pol is just so disdainful. They just really nailed that scene. I thought it was hilarious. So I just see so much contrast in this episode compared to what we've seen in previous series. So when we talked about past tense in Deep Space Nine, that's all about the morality of what the humans are doing. In Voyager, when they go back to the 90s, it's all about the greed that this one guy is having, but there's not too much of morality. And in this one, it's very, very minimal. They're not trying to shove anything down your throat. They're not trying to make you change your mind about any topic or stance. They're just trying to stop the Zindi. <laughs> and I think it's an interesting turn for Star Trek. And I think that's what makes Enterprise such a different show is that they're flirting so much with the 
continuous trek that they're not shoving this morality down your throat. This episode was so different than even the other Enterprise episodes that we watched for this series. I was thrown off. It's also strange that there's only three people featured in the whole episode and normally we see the whole crew or there's a B-plot about what everybody else on the Enterprise is doing but we only see them at the beginning and the end. Uh, it was a turning point for T'Pol's belief in time travel, and I kind yes. of think that was purposeful, mm-hmm. that yes. it had to be really focused, because who does she trust more than Archer, even though she didn't want to believe that time travel was a true situation? So I wonder if the writing like really, really narrowed the focus of this episode to this small cast to kind of uh, drive that point home. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I love that. And also the relationship between Archer and T'Pol is so dynamic and such a fun one to watch because they are very different than a lot of captain and first officers. I just think it's fun to watch them together and to see Archer pushing T'Pol's bounds, but also T'Pol still putting her foot down. I mean, I love the scene when Loomis takes out a cigarette and he starts smoking and she points that phaser at him. She's like, put that thing out. Like she is not having that. And it's really perfect because she still has her hard boundaries and she's like, I don't care about pointing this phaser at this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Or how she wanted to return the money to the ATM what we won't use we'll return it I was like oh, yes. I was adorable. like you won't like because that's not how ATM works but sure okay I have a question does this whole episode take place in one night because I noticed that this whole episode is shot in the dark and I just thought that was rare normally when we have time travel episodes they take a couple of days because they're stuck in the past for whatever reason but this was such a deliberate placement in the past, but I just want to verify, was this all right. in one night? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. And I think T'Pol was able to find him so quickly, you know, kind of yeah. triangulation. Loomis had pressure because he was going to get double the money if he brought the next people in. And so I right. think he wasn't planning on sleeping that night. And so, yeah, I think it was all in one night. Wild. We've talked a little in the past podcasts about Archer and sort of his motivations when it comes to certain actions. And I want to talk about this a little bit in the episode because it was just wild to me to see him like to pull untie his hands and then he punched him. And then he was like, I didn't want to punch you when your hands were tied. And I'm like, okay, but you're still punching him. Like the result (laughs) is still the same regardless of if you untie his hands or not. And so it was just interesting always to me because Archer is such an enigma and I have a hard time pinning him down, his motivations as a captain. A lot of it is driven by passion and just this desire to do good and to right these wrongs and of course when he's given an assignment by Daniels you know Daniels is like literally telling him to stop the Zindi from creating a biological weapon so it's very high stakes so I understand that he's stressed but it just seemed like weirdly classic Archer but also like Archer what are you doing there's better ways to get through this than to just go in punching I think it was Silic who said I've seen you become essentially more and more violent Yeah. And I think that they're showing that progression with part of this too. So this is season three, right? And so he's gone through several being pushed to the test 
and he can't stand on Starfleet morals only anymore because he's being dealt with all of these difficult circumstances. And so I wondered if it was that. Like he's still being pulled back to, nobody in my world or Starfleet would approve of my behavior that I'm about to do. Yet he really recognized that in order to get something done, he was going to have to use force. Yeah. So I found that interesting. Mom, thank you for saying that. It's such a good point. And something I often forget about Archer is he's literally fighting a war on like three sides, especially because Daniels is constantly involving him in the Temporal Cold War or in stuff that surrounds it and putting him at this focal point. It's a lot of pressure for him. I think the pressure has definitely increased since the attack on Florida, too, with the Zindi weapon. So Archer's feeling way more stress to fix the situation before it gets any worse because it's Earth in the, the, balance, in the yeah. stakes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> they do end up getting the bioweapon, so that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think they bring it back to Fox, and were they able to get all the blood types? Or were they just missing one? One, I think? just one. Well, yeah. really, archers and then the one other. Right. Yeah. Right. Just one. Yeah. Wild. So it's good that that did not succeed. And thanks, Daniels, for popping them back in a time like that. What a what a guy. <laughs> what a dude. Yeah. However, and, he does that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Keep this in mind, listeners, as a little foreshadowing. This is not the first biological weapon that an alien race will try to create to destroy the humans. They're really into that. It's an interesting pattern. Well, I think we should launch into E squared. Yeah. Or E2. <laughs> My first line that I have here is, this is Enterprise on Enterprise. Old <laughs> 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 Paul and family are coming back to warn new Enterprise about what's to happen in the future. Already your head is like oh, spinning as soon as you see new Enterprise come and is kind of uh, equally placed with old Enterprise. I was just like so excited in my gut. Like, thank God this is about to happen. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> wait to see what's going to go on here. Yeah, that's something I really love about Enterprise as a show is that it has these intriguing openings that I often have no clue where Enterprise is going, you know, and where the plot is going. And particularly in this one, even though we had seen a similar one, Ashlyn and I discussed Children of Time in our Deep Space Nine episode. And it was cool that there's still, in this episode, there's still one character who exists from the remaining crew. Last time it was Odo, this time it's T'Pol. It's really interesting to see her as an older self interacting with these generational members and to see how she's changed and grown up and dealing with it a lot better than future Odo was, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think the other obvious biggest difference between those two episodes is that the crew of Enterprise, the old crew, the generation ship Enterprise, does not want history to repeat itself. And the plot of Children of Time, that civilization wanted to continue existing and wanted to again strand the defiant so they could stay and survive and continue living on this planet but this generation ship enterprise is fine sacrificing themselves for this future because the one that they're living in 
is awful. I mean, they're sent into the past. They couldn't go back to Earth because it would contaminate the timeline. I mean, it would be awful <laughs> if they had gone back to Earth. So even though there wasn't any Starfleet Academy in these days, I'm glad they still had enough sense <laughs> to know without taking a class that you should not go back to Earth. They were sent back to 2037. So pretty soon is when they're going to be sent back in our timeline, which is insane. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. That really does put it into perspective. Yeah. So definitely no Starfleet yet for men. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was interesting that this generation ship, they're a lot more negative, I guess. And it would be really hard for me to have kids and get together with someone knowing that none of it was going to matter if they were successful. And so I can really understand the bitterness that Trip into Pole's son has in this because he's scared and he doesn't know what the right choice is. And this event that they've been building to for the past 117 years is about to happen. I mean, they already failed to stop the probe, the Zindi weapon, from hitting Earth. And so this crew is really discouraged. And yet there are these cute little kids running around. And mom, you talked about all the little Denobulan babies running around. And so it's such a contrast between the two different generations. That's a really good point about the having hope. How could you continue to go on and have hope when you are feeling like you're destined to fail? You already have failed and destined to like, well, this is our existence. So what's next? I thought it was really telling Lorian being haunted by the knowledge that so many people had perished, he feels like, because of him, because of his failures and how that would weigh on any one of us. Yeah, and I think a lot about generational trauma or generational guilt, and that's something that I think they did have to deal with here because it was passed on. It's not maybe as old as the generations in Children of Time. Those were a lot farther removed, like great-great-great-granddaughters or whatever, but in this circumstance, it's a lot closer to home, both physically and in the timeline. You know, I mean, yeah, still 200 years is a while, but T'Pol's still alive. She's 182, so she's still kicking. Yeah, I had a question for both of you. How do you think you would react in this situation? Do you think you would be like tripping to pull and be like, well, we better get together. Let's make some babies. Or would you be more like Reed, the eternal bachelor who's just trying to get his job done? <laughs> I think you would eventually have to settle. I would. I think I eventually have to settle with the knowledge because otherwise I think that uncertainty, I mean, I'm having a lot of pandemic time, the right nows flash up as you're asking this question and thinking about, well, how would you move forward? How would you deal with that? It's like, well, I don't know, how are we all dealing with it now that it's a pandemic and we've been quarantined and all of the things that have happened and we've had to kind of wait on a lot of things, waiting on decisions to make because there was so much uncertainty tomorrow, 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 what's going to happen today? And so as you ask that question, I definitely feel that you would eventually unless you're just going to live a lonely existence, have to decide that this is my life now. There is not going to be something different here and, and then make the best of it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think it's twofold. For me, I would, I know I'm not a Vulcan, so I know I'm not going to live as long as to pole. <laughs> and so I might as well just enjoy my creature comforts while I have them while we're trapped in this nebula. And also the mission is so important and eventually we will catch back up with the time that we were thrown back from. 
it's almost important to have kids so they can carry on the mission. But what a burden. I think that's what I would struggle the most with is knowing that this generation or the next generation is going to have to really be the ones to buck up and make this change happen. And of course, now that I'm saying all this, I'm really thinking about climate change. And it's so easy to say, oh, well, my kids will fix it. Oh, well, their kids will fix it then since my kids didn't fix it. So it's the game we have to play, but it's also the hope you have to have that maybe at some point change will happen. And I think to pull, old to pull, is really clutch in this episode because despite all the fears that everyone is having on the generational ship, she's really the crux of it all. Absolutely. Yeah, she's the hope, right? I loved that juxtaposition of her being so hopeful in her, oh gosh, when she's coaching young T'Pol about you not being able to handle your emotions. And my advice to you is to let Trip get closer to you and he will be an outlet for your emotions. And I was like, yeah, I bet he will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But how cool was it that a person with the quote unquote least emotion is really able to be the matriarch of the bond for hope, for change, and never gave up. So I have another question for you both, because we've seen a lot of episodes in this time travel series where future selves end up talking to their past selves. And so how would you guys respond if your elderly, elderly self was giving you advice? Would you take it? Would you say, oh, you're so out of touch. I don't even know who you are. How would you react to that situation? Well, Ashlyn, first of all, I'm glad you asked this question because I was just about to remark how amazing it is to have that opportunity for to pull because I think it would truly be incredible to be able to talk to my older self because there's just so much wisdom that comes with time and experience and understanding where you came from because no one understands you like you understand yourself and no one is as hard as they are as they are in themselves you know and I think that that sort of a double-edged sword but it's also important to know yourself and important to know your past. And I think that, that was what's so beautiful about the older T'Pol is that she really understands where T'Pol is in her life right now. And she understands that she's dealing with this trillium addiction. She's dealing with these struggles with her emotion. And as someone who goes through tough waves of mental health issues, I think it really would be amazing to see and hear yourself tell you that you're going to get through this even though you'll be dealing with it your whole life that there's this light and that there is this hope like mom said and that there's a future that maybe feels more secure for yourself and I would just love that because the future and the uncertainty of the future is some of the hardest things for me to deal with and so to have my own self tell me it's going to be okay and tell me to reach out to people amazing would love it (laughs) it would fast track you right to oh okay i'll listen to this i think it brings up an important point of where we are in different aspects of our lives where we're able to hear people give us advice versus when we're shut down to it and so your question is a really good one because if young T'Pol hadn't been going through her addiction and really struggling with her emotions could she have heard that wisdom Mm. that old T'Pol was giving i don't think so I think that she could have been coming from that stoic Vulcan perspective and not necessarily been open to hear that wisdom. And I think that we can all relate to that, that there are certain times in our life where we're pretty broken and we have been broken down enough where we are 
just open. We can hear things that previously in years past we wouldn't have been able to hear. It's like giving me wisdom. Nah, nah, no, that's not me. That's somebody else that you're thinking about. That's not me or my struggles. And that's one thing that I thought was so powerful about that scene is young T'Pol really had to be basically broken in at her bottom to be able to take that in. I totally agree with you. And I was just going to make that point that we see Trip trying to go to her to comfort her, asking her what's wrong. You've been holed up in your quarters. And a lot of people, I mean, Archer is concerned about to pull because she's not acting like herself. But no one can break through that shell because she's got her hard exterior up. And so I think it's kind of a miracle that old Tapol was there because she knows that she's the only one who can convince her to calm down. It's going to be okay. I'm here for you. Everything will be fine. I think it's so cool. Maybe this generation ship didn't stop the weapon from destroying Earth, but they did something very important too. And that's really helped to pull in a lot of these interpersonal relationships that are going on. So I thought that was beautiful. And for me, I think I'm pretty stubborn when people say things to me that are right on the nose sometimes. And it takes me a little bit to digest. And so I can totally see myself thinking, oh, old Ashlyn, how could she remember how I feel right now? And then eventually (laughs) accepting the wisdom of whatever I'm trying to tell myself. But you definitely have to be ready to hear that for sure. Well, I think it really points to the crew in general being a mess from all the emotions of what they saw about their future. And even though it was exciting for some, you know, I was thinking of Malcolm and Hoshi and Travis sitting Mm -hmm. in the mess hall. Yeah. Two of them are super excited about what they see happening in their future. And Malcolm is really doing some self-reflection on what was I thinking? Like, what did I do? And starts looking at himself a little differently and invites this person who comes in to the mess hall to come over and sit with him where he formerly would not have done that. And so I liked that they got an opportunity to recognize, even though they're all self-proclaimed kind of aware people, they really weren't aware of their emotions until they were faced with what was their future actually going to look like. And I thought that was really, really powerful. Yeah, it's something that these time travel episodes have been doing really well, showing our characters a potential future and giving them a second chance, essentially, because a lot of these potential futures are very damaging. I mean, we see whole civilizations fall, you know, on big scales, but even on this scale, Earth didn't survive. We have a lot of guilt and grief and a lot of things went wrong. And so it's cool to see that they get a chance to rewrite their past and their future essentially (laughs) and in some instances not when tucker is learning that he dies before knowing his son really dies when his son is just 14. yeah and i don't know how you guys felt you should say but for me i definitely was struck by that that oh he has to learn this right now and what a horrible thing to know like i wouldn't want to know But what about you guys? I don't think I'd want to know because it's not a timeline that I'm in, you know, and it's not something that happened to that version of me. It's kind of like with Sim in this Similitude episode. And Paul talks about it later and how she's like, oh, wait, we kissed. Like, Sim and I kissed. And he's like, that wasn't me, though. Like, that was this other version of Trip. And yeah, he still loves her and still has these feelings, but he didn't experience those things. And yeah, it would be gutting to hear that. And it also, of course, makes me think about the finale that shall not be named. <laughs> it's history repeating itself in a way that I didn't want to happen. 
and I didn't need that in my life. But anyway, I definitely would not want to know. Yeah. What about you, Ash? Oh, yeah. It's like Braxton where he's like, I never experienced that timeline. I'm going to (laughs) go. Peace out. Yeah. (laughs) Peace in Voyager. Yeah, I wouldn't want to know. But something important that they talk about at the end of this episode, which is very interesting in all these different time travel episodes, because especially in Voyager, we'd have time travel and then the crew would not remember any of it. But in E Squared and in a lot of these Enterprise episodes, it's just kind of a free-for-all where this crazy stuff happens, everyone remembers it, and they're able to grow from it and learn and change and develop because of their experience with time travel. Yeah. And so I think this one is particularly interesting because the crew all have these life-changing experiences, getting to know about their history on this generation ship. Archer asked to pull, why do we still remember it? If the ship is gone now and history has not repeated itself, did they even exist? And T'Pol says, well, because we remember them, of course they existed. And so I kind of think of this timeline as kind of like a roller coaster loop de loop you know where you're just like flat going along and then there's a little loop and then it just continues on they could not have continued going on without the sacrifice made by everybody on that original enterprise so i just think it's really interesting to see an episode that builds on itself in this way well yeah don't you think that the characters in the generation ship had sort of planned for this contingency that they might not make it out. Like, I think all of them are going into this, coming back to their time again, realizing that we might not make it, but I think they're all prepared for that sacrifice because they've been preparing for 200 years. Agree. Mm-hmm. And I love when it's happening, when they realize that old Enterprise ship is broken down, it can't move. And we're going to have to tractor beam it and give it like the proverbial bump the car through the intersection. We've got to give it the old bump through. Mm-hmm. And we may not come out on the other side with them. Yeah, it was very powerful. I think the whole theme of Enterprise, especially with time travel, is just do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we see that more than ever in the episode Stormfront, part one and two, where there are literally Nazis occupying the eastern side of the United States. Nazis have taken over the White House and New York City, and it is a disturbingly different past from the one that we know. There's also aliens in Nazi uniforms, so not just a different past, but (laughs) these people are aware of aliens. I mean, not a lot of people have seen these generals who were the... Do we know what race they are? I don't know if we ever know their race. We know that Vosk. Yeah, Vosk is the leader's name, but I don't think Daniel's ever said. I'm like, who are these people? And they're not the sphere builders, because that's the different race. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is, like Ashlyn said, completely different timeline than we know and it just is a bummer to me that they had just destroyed the sphere had this triumphant ending in zero hour where they're everyone thinks archer's dead so it's not super triumphant but they're still making it home thinking let's contact starfleet this is gonna be so great like we're finally gonna be home even trip mentions at one point during the episode that he was planning on sitting on a different beach every week (laughs) you know and everyone was looking forward to a shore leave and They can't even hail Starfleet. None of the lunar colonies are responding. So it's got to be devastating to be like, oh my God, we have to go do another mission, another life-saving, timeline-altering mission, like just casually, you know? When those old bomber airplanes were coming through, I was like, strap it. Oh, shit. (laughs) What's happening? Why are they in DC? That looks more like they should be in Europe. And yeah, that was a lot (laughs) to take in. 
A lot, for sure. First thing I want to say is it's very classic that something was wrong in Earth history and there's no longer any Starfleet, no longer any Federation. That's the first thing that goes because so much of Earth's history relies on First Contact being at that time and relies on the Vulcans meeting at that time and the Federation forming the way it did. It's interesting to see that Starfleet is always the thing that falls first when something goes wrong in human history. Even to back it up further, how did they travel through time? Do we know how Enterprise? Daniels. Daniels. Yet so again. That was Daniels again? Yeah. Ah, oh, I forgot about that because I know the shuttle goes through. I just remember there's like this weird, it looks like an anomaly, and then they go through the cloud and then suddenly here they are on Earth. So it's Daniels? Okay, yeah, I forgot but I don't about think that. I've seen Daniels take all of Enterprise through, the yeah. whole of Enterprise, right? right? It's just been Archer. But this time he's like, I gotta send the big dogs up. I gotta send everybody because this is a major failure. Well, and Daniels is like horribly disfigured in this one. Yeah, so Dr. Phlox explains it that Daniel's body is aging at different rates. And that's why he's all like lopsided. It's really awful. Like what's going on with him? He's barely able to be conscious, let alone speak. He's surely to die soon. But of course they need his explanation of why the heck they're in the past, what's going on, all of this stuff. And they do the classic thing where he's like, you have to find him. And T'Pol's like, who? And then he faints. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, of course. They have that cliffhanger thing where you're like, please, you could have just said one more word. You could have said Silic and we would have known that a Sulaban was a stowaway. <laughs> yeah, that's just classic. They, they can't give you all the information at once because how will the plot progress? Yeah, exactly. Right, and when they're showing Archer on the field hospital, the first time that I watched it, I was thinking, is that even going to be Archer? Like, is he really dead? Who knows? It's Star Trek. <laughs> Who's laying there? And then to see the alien figures standing over him in German uniforms, it was like a whirly bird for my head, trying to get my head around what could actually be happening here. Yeah, I think definitely the most disturbing part of this episode is seeing the White House with the swastika flags on it when we jump to that part because, I mean, with just the most recent, which is terrible to say, the recent insurrection we literally had on the Capitol building in D.C. where a lot of people have basically Nazi leanings. Neo-Nazis, um, And, yeah. you know, neo-Nazis, white supremacists. And so it's very disturbing to think about a past where that could have happened and as Americans we're definitely taught when we're taught about World War II that we're the good guys who saved the world and it's because of our freedom and our right to do whatever we want and that's why fascism lost the war but to see people in New York City having to walk by casual shootings done by officers and to have it be so normalized in this episode was very disturbing because we've never really had an occupation on American soil. We're extremely, extremely lucky and privileged that that has never happened to us. And I think a large part of it is due to because we kind of have our own part of the continent over here. It's very removed from Europe and Asia. That reaction, right, by Archer when he sees some deli or something that was established in 1934. And he is realizing, I'm in the United States. This is happening in the U.S. Yeah, and when Alicia, who is the woman that he meets in the past, when she says, we're in Brooklyn, he is like, 
floored, you know, and I totally agree with his reaction. I mean, it would just be devastating to hear that history had changed so drastically. And it's interesting to hear too that Malcolm explains what happened to sort of stem this war into a new direction. And partially it was because Lenin was assassinated in 1916. And so Hitler wasn't distracted by Russia with Russia joining the allied forces later on. And so he could easily take France and Poland and all of the countries he took as well as England and then moving to the United States. And it's just crazy to think that like the assassination of one leader can lead to all of that. I mean, it's similar to how the assassination of France, the Archduke of France, you know, yeah, yeah, like, Ferdinand. Yeah. yeah, like caused the whole First World War. Is my right? My history it's, right it's, there? It sparked it. Yeah, sparked definitely it, was yeah. a leading cause in the Great War. <laughs> yeah. And so there are a ton of people messing with the timeline. And this is because we are in deeply into the temporal Cold War now. This is when we're all hearing about it because we've heard Daniels discuss it so many times and we've brushed over segments of it but this is where it's sort of coming to its height and Daniels and all of the other time agents were pretty much wiped out I mean we see that Daniels is completely like wrecked he's really going through it obviously and I think all of his co-workers and everyone who worked at the agency were wiped out because of these changing timelines and it's fascinating to think and to see how the writers of Enterprise showed, like you all said, the U.S. being under occupation. And I really thought it was genius and exactly what would have happened that a lot of the mafia mob guys in New York stepped up and were the civilian resistance. It kind of makes sense, you know? I mean, one of the guys, Sal, I think his name was, was like, yeah, we used to own this town, you know? And they were loan sharks, definitely a lot of illegal activity, but they have the weapons and the materials and the know-how to at least fight back and it's cool to see this resistance moving and to see Alicia who's such a cool character at the forefront of this. Alicia again is a great part of the formula that Star Trek loves which is when you go back in time you have to have a sympathetic woman along with you from the time zone (laughs) that you're in. This is like the 10th example of this. And she even gets a tour of Enterprise, which we also see a lot in Star Trek, where you got to beam up the lady (laughs) to help with the mission. But in this one, I'm not raving about how could they have let people of the 40s see all the future technology. I don't care about any of that. I'm not mad about them messing up the timeline and the temporal prime directive because we are so deep, as Rihanna just said, in this temporal cold war. I'm going to say it's a temporal hot war now (laughs) because this is just plain war (laughs) that it doesn't matter. It's a free for all and it's a struggle. And whoever comes out alive are going to be the victors. So whatever you got to do to help save America rid itself of fascism and to get the timeline back on track, it doesn't matter what you do to make that happen. So beam up whoever you want. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I wasn't shocked by that. I didn't even have a reaction to it. So as you bring that up, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. It definitely felt like whatever has to happen to get this done. And I was interested in them thinking that Archer was a temporal agent also because it lent itself to the fact that they've been seeing different, I would call them insurgents, people that are coming in and messing with time or that are temporal agents. And here is when they're introducing the temporal accord 
I don't know if we had heard about the temporal accord before this episode, as if everybody had recognized this is just a freaking mess. This is a mess. And we've got these temporal agents going rogue. We've got all of these problems. And so you're right. It's like throwing spaghetti on the wall when seeing what's going to stick. They're just no holds barred, not really worried about messing with time because of everything that they've seen. I actually am thinking now because they're, again, I keep referencing a lot of old Star Trek episodes, but the Nazis are in a couple different ones. There's a great one in the original series, but it doesn't actually take place on Earth. It's just a culture who, I guess, like the Nazis and <laughs> emulates their culture. It's called Patterns of Force, if you all want to look it up. Okay. It's a good one. And then, of course, there's Edith Keeler, where because Hitler won the war in her timeline, this is what McCoy changed, then that spawned everything to be wrong. But so I'm thinking in this one, where, of course, Hitler wins the war, is this just another track to the mirror universe? Because the mirror universes that we see are all the scenario where Hitler won the war and fascism is what drives us into space and we're all murdering each other and backstabbing to get promoted. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out there that I think there's so many ways to create alternate universes and a huge one is just let Hitler win. <laughs> Well, and Yikes. this is, I mean, it's a huge one that our enemies, the Enterprise's enemies, that the temporal enemies choose because Silic and Vosk are both ready to destroy humanity. I mean, Silic's kind of cool in this episode because he bands with Archer and they work together, but Silic was still a stowaway intending to change the timeline because we learned that Vosk is completely against the temporal accords. He thinks that time should be used like any other technology pretty much to his whim and that's what makes him such a dangerous villain is that he is pretty much willing to destroy entire civilizations and destroy an entire timeline to get home essentially and it's similar to what's his name in year of hell Arax. Arax, yeah, in Voyager's Year of Hell, because wait, is Arax. it Arax? No, that's the Anorax. Anorax. Arax is in the animated series, he's and he's orange. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No, Anorax. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so he reminds me a little bit of Anorax uh, in Year of Hell, but his motivations aren't to save his family. His motivations are just to get home, and it's crazy how he's just willing to band with Nazis to do so and to provide them with weapons. I also want to mention too, I thought that the second part of this episode where they split it up was so well done and terrifying because this second part of the episode opens with this Hitler propaganda saying, here is the Fuhrer going down Washington and everyone's cheering for him and it's great and everyone's happy that- Peace to the city and yeah. yeah terrifying and I thought it was so well done because it looked exactly like the type of old film propaganda that was seen during that time. I also thought just a couple things that really blew me away was when they are sitting in Alicia's apartment and they hear Billie Holiday playing and we learned that different neighbors have been passing along the phonograph to other people so that they can play singers who are African-American because it's been outlawed for singers of color to be played. And so it's so cool to see those sparks of hope remaining in this horribly dark time. I love that each of these characters from the past are still fighting back and that there is so much dedication to 
change it. And especially when Alicia turns to Archer after she's learned all this and says, do what you need to do to change the timeline. I want to be living with my husband. I want my neighborhood back is what she says. We know that different people will have not existed. So much is going to change when this timeline goes back to normal. But in this circumstance, it's definitely fine that things are being erased from time when the whole universe is at stake. Yeah, I think it's so important, the resilience of the human spirit, to your point about them passing around the phonograph. And even when she's up on Enterprise and Archer is saying, I can send you to any place in the world. And she's like, I want to go home. I want to be back in Brooklyn. I can't leave the people that are there and the trust that they've built together to get through this together. Yeah, I thought it was really, really great. I totally agree. I was actually wondering for myself, like, hmm, should I just ask Archer to send me to New Zealand? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Where I can just wait out the war, (laughs) go hiking, you know? (laughs) But no, she's braver than I am. She's like, no, I'm going to go fight the Nazis. I'm going to go punch them. Yeah. Right. Another example of a badass woman in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. I just love it. And it's so important that characters in general keep getting peppered in, in a very normal fashion. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is normally how someone would think and feel and act. And we're using a female to show that. And let's normalize that. Let's not make this person the weak person that's being taken care of by the cells of the world. She's really directing things. She's the one that gets Archer to talk to Voss and to make all of this move. And they didn't want to help Archer. They wanted to protect, protect, protect. Another example of Star Trek's brilliance around using female characters this way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you make a good point too. And something that I admire a lot about Enterprise and the characters, how they're written in general, is that they are very authentic to humanity. We see that Trip gets angry a lot, but then sometimes he'll pull himself back and be like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yell at you. I'm just a little stressed. And we're like, we understand, dude, you were going through a lot. I love to see that because sometimes in Star Trek, we have such strong Starfleet attitude and morals and can do no wrong and all of this stuff. And I do like to see that the flaws are a little more open with these Enterprise characters and with the characters they meet because it does feel authentic and it feels like how they would be reacting in this timeline. They don't have a lot to fall back on. They don't have a ton of experience. They are the first ship out there and they're dealing with a lot of stressful situations. And it's cool to see that they can be authentic about that and about their feelings. So another thing I want to talk about is Vosk and his, quote, careful manipulation of historical events. Seems like a lot of BS to me. (laughs) You're like, I'm not buying it. He's not being careful. (laughs) He's not being careful. And I do really appreciate this team up with Silic here because Silic has been a figure that has cropped up in a lot of these time travel episodes as the main villain of the episode, always trying to stop Archer from doing something or perpetuate a horrible event happening. And so every time I see Silic, pretty much their reactions are like, God damn it, Silic. And I'm like, same, I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. But it was really cool to see sort of a redemption arc for him. They band together to defeat this greater evil and to recreate this timeline and to make things better. And that Silic actually gives his life to the cause. Like I completely forgot that he dies in this. Me too. I thought they were trying to really drive home the point that even the Suleban are against Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Like, come on. There's such a clear evilness happening right now that even Silla could get on board with this to try to stop it. 
the end of this episode is kind of wild because the Enterprise is legitimately flying through New York. It's a crazy <laughs> sight to see them fly past the Empire State Building. They're getting ready to destroy the device that Vosk has been making to try to get them back home. And this is what resets the timeline. And it's crazy. Again, Ashlyn, you're so right. The Enterprise crew remembers all of this again. This is something that remains in their memory, even though everything has been reset. Daniels is alive again, which is fantastic. Glad to see him. We've had a couple fake out deaths from him. But I also really loved Archer's attitude at the end of the episode. It was very Janeway of just like, can you not keep doing this to us? Like, I am sick of time travel. <laughs> He's like, I am sick of you putting us in the forefront of all these dangerous, horribly complicated and difficult situations when it comes to time travel. I understand and I really feel Archer's frustration here. The fact that Daniels is the one who keeps just dropping them into these situations and saying, okay, go fix it. Right, and more and more Archer had realized over time and the time travel how important he was to the timeline going in the way that it should. And what pressure is that? And so he's like, this guy that brings the pressure, which is Daniels, even though really it's the timeline, Daniels brings this pressure to him. He's like, I am fed up with you. You need to be done and be out of here. Yeah, I was glad to see Daniels be back alive only because I knew that meant good things for the timeline. And for Daniels, he has had this remarkable experience in working with Archer where Archer feels exactly opposite about how it's been working with Daniels. He's been nothing but a chaos factor in Archer's existence. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Like a cue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just ribboning from timeline to timeline. I think also these journeys that Archer takes forcibly definitely contributes to who he becomes and how he helps to form the Federation later because he remembers all of this crazy nonsense that happens and he knows we can't let this happen again and we have to stick together. We're stronger as a united group of people. So it's interesting to see that these time travel episodes specifically make such a huge impact on him which it makes sense. They're high stake, life or death, timeline or not timeline winning situations. Yeah, it really ties together, doesn't it? The Federation, Starfleet, all of the things that we grow up knowing about when we're watching Star Trek. And we don't necessarily know how they got started. You know, it's peppered in. We know a few things here and there. But the point that you're making, Ashlyn, about Archer having seen what happens if these organizations don't exist makes him be a stronger character, makes him have to be more aggressive, makes him have to break the rules and has to bring about this change. And I found that to be really impactful for me to have that bow tied up, to feel like, oh, you always get that, yeah, this is the grand dream about the Federation and that we can come together as cultures and as diverse people and we can be one Federation. But to actually see it in this other time frame and recognize this is how bad it could get. I can point to it and say, look what it can look like over here. I just had never really felt like I understood it as deeply until watching Enterprises, particularly these episodes that tie it up. Yeah, wow, well said. I totally agree. Yeah, I think in general, so many of these episodes throughout every series, the time travel ones really make an impact on everybody. It's been really fun to watch these, and especially because Enterprise, it's been so long since I've seen the whole thing in order. It's just fun to really understand the conflict with the Zindi 
and everything that is going on with the sphere builders and <laughs> the future man that everyone keeps talking to. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely a huge, huge part of the plot of this series. And what a moving end at the end of this episode, particularly when all the ships come out to greet the Enterprise. Yes. I feel like I felt the relief with them. You could see it in their faces. Their acting was great in that moment. And because you had been along this really tumultuous ride with them to be surrounded, I loved how they did that with all the rest of the ships. Like, we got you. We know that you've had us and now we've got you. Like, tear provoking. Yeah, <laughs> and you can finally have your shore leave. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it was cool because I even recognized some Vulcan ships. So it was great that even they came out to go and greet them because it does show a stronger stance. You know, I think that the Vulcans are starting to come around (laughs) at this point in the series being less sticklers and less judgmental of humanity, particularly Archer. Maybe they don't agree with his methods, but they know he gets the job done and they know that he is essential for this time. Yeah, that idea of you're not alone. I mean, don't we all just need to know that, you know, including Enterprise. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, oh my gosh, this has been so much fun. Mom, it's been amazing to get to talk with you and even learn some things I didn't even know about you and your (laughs) Star Trek history. (laughs) So thank you so much for joining us for this portion of the pod. What a joy. We'd love to have you back. (laughs) Oh, I would love to be back. And I have to say one other thing because you guys had asked me ahead of time to tell you my favorite time travel book or movie. Ivan was hilarious. Ivan's my husband, the girl's stepdad. And when I told him I needed to think about, you know, well, what time travel book or movie was impactful to me? He said, you ought to say something really deep like hot tub time machine. (laughs) 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 So knowing Ivan, I thought you guys would get a kick out of that. But I wanted to share that there are two really impactful time travel series. Somewhere in Time is Not a series. It's a standalone movie with Christopher Reeves and Jane Seymour. Older movie, heart-wrenching. I'm not going to give any of the plot away because it's just really, really, really powerful. And then the books by Diana Gabaldon. And I know now they've become very popular into the Outlander series, but I was like 15 years old and I couldn't put these books down. I was falling in love with Jamie and seeing the relationship build between Jamie and Claire and learning about that time period in the Scottish history and the trilogy that if you're listeners, if you're going to listen to another really, or read a really great series are Outlander, Dragonfly, and Amber, and Voyager, all by Diana Gabaldon. So that's my plug for this girl who, born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, some really, really good stuff. Well, it's funny that you talk about Hot Tub Time Machine because another podcast I really love listening to now playing talks about time travel. And actually, you know, the mechanics of Hot Tub Time Machine is not too far-fetched. So <laughs> okay, well, I'll make sure I knows that he, he really did give a deep answer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good answer. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for those recommendations. Thank you for talking with us today. It's been a joy. Thanks for having me, you guys. I appreciate it so much. It was so much fun. A pleasure. pleasure. I love you guys. Love you too. And thank you for bringing your Enterprise love perspective. It's so fun to hear you talk about the show and to hear it from your perspective. And 
we're just so happy that you are on the Star Trek journey with us. So thank you yeah. so much. Thanks to the pod. Ooh. I mean, truly. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And we will be talking to you soon. <laughs> it was so lovely to have mom on the show today. That was great. Yeah, such a blast. Thank you all for tuning in for that section. And now we're going to go on to talk about the rest of these time travel episodes. Rhiannon and I were talking about that mom took all of the really juicy episodes that she wanted to talk about for the podcast but don't worry we will have just as much fun as we had with her so yeah <laughs> these next ones we're going to talk about are cold front shockwave twilight azadi prime and zero hour yeah, we've still got a lot of time travel ones to go because this is just a time travel centric series, especially in the beginning. So we thought we would just start and go in order for these. And Ashlyn, I want to talk briefly just about the Daniels timeline and just Daniels in general. I just think he's a fascinating character because he just pops up and essentially gives as little information as possible and then tells Archer to save the world, essentially. And I feel like this introduction to Daniels in Cold Front is actually really cool because he comes on as a Starfleet officer, as a crewman on Enterprise. And so he is just sort of around and we see him a lot in this episode. And I remember watching it the first time being like, this guy's suspicious. Like, why is he being shown so much? All of a sudden he's taking Archer's order for meals and he's always sort of in the background lurking. And so I thought he was going to be the villain. I was actually really grateful that we had just watched all those Voyager episodes with the time travel contingency or whatever that group is called because I felt like it gave me a really good background to Daniel's life <laughs> and I was thinking about how he seamlessly is slipping into the crew and he's getting to know Archer. He mentions that he always makes Archer's eggs exactly how he likes them. <laughs> so I'm wondering how long Daniel's has been on the crew of the Enterprise because the way that he's talking to Archer, it seems like he might have been serving with them for a while or he has taken the place of someone else who has been on the crew. So it showed a lot of commitment to his plans for the future. And I thought he started off really likable as well. And he does seem like someone you would trust. But yeah, as we go forward with these Daniels episodes, I think I start to like him less and less. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I understand a lot of his motivation and the problem is is that he's dealing with a man who is a very prominent figure in history. It's kind of like if Daniels had to go back and constantly hang out with Abraham Lincoln. You know, that's like a lot of big yeah. stakes and yes. someone who's so important to history, of course he's getting more and more stressed when the timeline is continuing to get wrecked because of certain things happening with the Temporal Cold War that I think he just really starts to lose it a little because he's just continuously trying to save the universe. And that's a tough gig for sure. Yeah, you know, that's a great analogy, Rihanna. I love that because it would be stressful to hang out with someone who's so important to the future. And this is exactly why the Temporal Cold War is happening in the 22nd century, because this is such a pivotal time for humans and the Federation. Also, we learn a lot of information about the Zindi and how they appear in the 22nd century. Daniels talked about how the people who the Zindi are getting their orders from is from the 29th century, and he can only partially appear, it sounds like. They can only really project themselves. They don't have the technology or the means, I guess, to completely move their bodies into the past. 
Exactly. Yeah. And so it sounds like because Daniels is from a century that's maybe 200 years more advanced, that's how he's able to completely rematerialize in this century. I thought it was interesting to get all this information. I'm just in general, and we have a lot of episodes to discuss, and so I think it's good to lay the groundwork now. Do you think it matters that Daniels is revealing so much information to Archer, or do you think it's beneficial that Archer knows as much as possible about this temporal cold war? I think he has to know, first of all, in order for Archer to believe him. He has to know what's going on. He has to be shown a certain amount in order to understand that this is real. Because Archer really hates when people play games with him, essentially. He's a very cut and dry person. He needs the facts laid out just as they are, not behind a smokescreen, which I think most people would appreciate that. And so I think the way in which Daniels reveals himself in Cold Front particularly is pretty smart because he says, you have to just come to my quarters and I'll show you. And so he shows him what's in that briefcase of his and it's like the whole timeline laid out of course not in order because time is definitely in flux for Daniels especially and so that was a cool way of doing it because it shows advanced technology it really shows proof and Archer is a fairly trusting person and so I think that also helps is that Daniels is being authentic enough that Archer is on board yeah what do you think I totally agree with you. I am just trying to figure out how much this really affects the timeline or how much it matters that it affects the timeline because I think at this point, Daniels is kind of making Archer his accomplice in this temporal cold war. He's essentially recruiting him to help him out. And so the good guys, quote unquote, come out on top and the timeline stays intact. It's a really interesting situation because we haven't had this happen before where an unwitting party has to participate in events that are going to affect the future for thousands of years, literally, literally (laughs) Literally a thousand years in the future. So Daniels is a really cool element to the show. And whenever he appears, I always know it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about this quote unquote good side, because they do mention not in Cold Front, but just again to lay more groundwork, they mentioned that the sphere builders who are behind this, who are the people who have to project themselves into the past, they convinced the Zindi that the humans were the destroying element that was to be eliminated because they were sort of the bad guys. So they essentially used the humans as a scapegoat and a reason for the war. That's what I sort of interpreted from that. According to the Zindi, they fully believe that the humans are at fault and that they should be eliminated. And obviously, even if people are bad, you shouldn't just go destroying their home worlds. That's not very nice. (laughs) Morality with Rihanna. (laughs) 101. Don't destroy a home world. (laughs) That's a bit of a moral gray area there. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that it gives a little more understanding of why they're doing this and provides more sympathy as to, like, of course, I don't really sympathize with especially the insectoids of the Zindi because they're just so cruel, but it makes us understand more of why they're doing this because it feels just out of the blue. Like the Zindi just want to kill all the humans and it's awful. So it's interesting to see that it was built on this lie from the sphere builders 
and that they were also being manipulated and used as tools for the Spear Builders' own volition. So yeah, it's interesting to see both sides, but it's crazy because Daniels is also having to fight a war on the front of the Suliban as well. So we've got the Zindi and the Suliban involved in these different moments in time. And so in Cold Front, this is when we also see Silic again. So one of our crazy Suliban friends, not really friends, yes. he's just <laughs> always around and it's always Silic who's cause and trouble. I completely forgot that he could shapeshift. I thought they could just like turn invisible and crawl on ceilings and stuff, but no, <laughs> they can really do a lot, especially Silic, because they've been genetically manipulated to do so. And so I just think it's really clever the way that every villain in these episodes has a clear motive and has a backstory enough to where I understand why they're doing things. Because sure, it's not great, but I can understand why the Suliban and why Silic is motivated to save the Enterprise from destruction because the Enterprise is such a focal point in the rest of history. Yes, Rihanna, I love that you're giving a preview into our next villain series right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, this is a taste of what's to come. (laughs) I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about this in the future. Having a villain who's fleshed out and you can sympathize with is so important. And so the fact that Enterprise is now introducing these different factions is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I also just want to point out that throughout all of these episodes and all of Enterprise, we never see who Daniels is working for, right? We don't get to look at his manager or his boss or anything like that. I don't know how much we even know about which organization specifically he's from. So as much as we trust Daniels and sympathize with him, He's trying to keep the timeline correct, but it's also like if I was Archer, I would be very suspicious still, like despite all of this proof, we don't really know all about his motives. We don't know really anything about Daniels at all. Is that his only name, Daniels? <laughs> What's his first name? <laughs> I Do we know? I honestly don't think we know. So no idea. It's just interesting how people from the future just drop in time and say, hey, you, Zindi, you humans, like come help me for this war that's happening. Yeah, it's like being from the future gives them this odd amount of credibility and immediate trust, which I understand to an extent because they know what's going to happen, so they have a leg up. But it's also kind of a power dynamic, and it's something that Daniels uses to manipulate Archer a little bit. Archer's never consenting to being sent into the past or the future or wherever he needs to go. I mean, sometimes he's like, sure, I guess I'll help you, Daniels. But for the most part, Daniels just tells him where to go and then sends him there. So it's just a little problematic. Rihanna, this is an amazing point you brought up, and I can't believe we haven't talked about it in the series so far, but it's so true that the power dynamic really shifts once you say you're from the future because theoretically you know everything that's going to happen or you have better technology or I don't know, in general, you have more knowledge and knowledge is power. Wow, I think you really got to the crux of why this proxy war is especially interesting too because we have different people from the future with their power over this really helpless century. And especially because if you're a Star Trek fan, all of Star Trek has taken place in somewhere that's further along in the timeline. I mean, we see people from the future try to manipulate others in the present 
all of the time. I'm pretty sure that is a staple in every single Star Trek time travel episode. So I mean, it's a staple even with our crew that we know and love. They also use their knowledge as a power structure when they go to the past because there is a sort of smugness. I mean, it happens even when, say, you're watching a show with someone who has never seen it and you have all the spoilers. And so you have more of the power in that dynamic because you know things that whoever you're watching it doesn't. Yeah, even in those subtle ways, there is that dynamic. Yes, again, amazing analogy. Rihanna, you are killing it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I have a question about Mm -hmm. Cold Front. So we have talked a little bit about this with mom when we said that T'Pol was completely adamant that time travel doesn't exist because the Vulcan science directorate determines that time travel is impossible. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, what would your reaction be? Would you be more like T'Pol, super skeptical, not believing it's true? Would you be like Archer, who's just instantly on board, like, choo-choo, all right, like, (laughs) climb on board, let's go. Would you be somewhere in the middle? Like, how do you think you would react to learning about the fact that time travel is real and that this person's from 900 years in the future? I would definitely have a mix of both reactions because I'm a very open-minded person and I want to believe what someone is telling me. I want to believe that someone's going to be honest. Okay, Fox Mulder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I unintentionally expiled myself. Yes, I do. I want to believe in aliens. But I also want to believe that people are being honest with me, like Archer, and I'm very trusting. But also, I don't want to be played for a fool. I don't want to be manipulated in some way. And so I think I would very, very hesitantly believe that this was true. I would think, okay... He's probably from the future, but I'm going to proceed with caution. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How would you feel, Rihanna? Well, I mostly agree with you. I think I can be sort of gullible because I do trust people too easily, but also the fact that I said I trust people too easily shows that maybe I don't trust them that easily because (laughs) I think that with small things, I trust people pretty readily. If it's something like time travel, I'm very much a believe it when I see it kind of person. And I believe in science and the hard work that people do to prove theories and everything, but I think I would definitely be more on the side of T'Pol, not completely close-minded about it, but just heavily skeptical, definitely need more evidence. Yeah, well, the evidence is all in Daniel's quarters, which I thought was just the most obvious and hilarious plot point of all time because this episode ends. Obviously, Daniel's dies in this episode. Yeah. Poor guy. He's just dying all over the place. And Silic dies in this episode, too. He gets vaporized, I think. Right? Um, or something. Silic no. escapes out of an airlock and flies. Oh. <laughs> he floats through space. And it's the weirdest animation ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I think there's like a ship waiting for him or something, and he just yeets away. He just yeets out. Oh, God. Yeah, epic stuff. But after that happens, Daniels leaves his quarters, obviously, just exactly because he's dead. Um, So his quarters are maintained exactly how it was when he was alive, and they put this lock on it. And I was literally thinking to myself, they're putting this lock on his quarters. 
and they're not going to go through it and not going to do any analysis of what's in Daniel's quarters. They're just going to let it happen and they're going to open it up when they need it in the next time travel episode. And that's exactly what happens for Shockwave. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, I think if I were to pull, I would use my rank <laughs> and position on the ship to go into there and go investigate because she has a beautiful quote that she says to Trip. She says, there's a difference between keeping an open mind and believing it because you want it to be true. I felt like she was talking to me in that. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, listen, yeah, cause just because you want time travel to be true doesn't mean it is. <laughs> oh yeah, me and Trip are on the same page about that. Like, <laughs> we're excited about time travel. <laughs> So in the episode Shockwave, that is a really striking one, no pun intended. <laughs> so Enterprise is just chilling, and they're going to go visit this colony that has 3,600 beings, people living down on the planet, and something happens when the shuttle goes down to the planet. Something interacts with the atmosphere. and Tetrazine, yeah. Tetrazine, and it burns everyone. It destroys the whole planet's surface. And this is devastating, obviously, just in general, this is devastating. And then also for Archer specifically, it is probably one of his biggest regrets in his life. But in fact, we learned that it's sabotage. It wasn't even an accident. So this episode kind of threw me for a loop because so many Star Trek episodes, the plot happens because they have to go back and fix the mistake that they made at the beginning of the episode. And so I thought we were going to see these colonists back again, but damn, we do not. They're dead. What's done is done. And this is all about the cloaked Sulaban ship that is hovering in orbit with Enterprise. But yeah, before we learn any of that, Archer is just ruined by this mistake that he thinks he's made. And he's apathetic. He does not care about what happens to the ship. He's happy to accept a decommission yeah. from Starfleet and to go home and to not let any more deep space travels happen for up to 10 or 20 years. So it makes me sad, you know, to see Archer so despondent and I think in this case, it was good that Daniels recruited him for this mission. Because then, before we know it, we see Archer 10 months in the past before any of this even happened. Right. This is a crazy time travel moment, too, because Archer gets transported back to San Francisco. And he asked Daniels, then who's sleeping in my bed on Enterprise? And he says, that hasn't happened yet. And he's like, but then where's my self from this timeline he says you are you so he transported his self back into his old body which is crazy i didn't know that he had that capability either like daniels is just pulling out all of this random magic yeah this is not a pogo paradox this is like a self flashback yeah, paradox it's like, it's like how kess yeah. traveled yeah it's crazy yeah. And I wonder if this has something to do, perhaps they've perfected the technology of reintegrating people. With Braxton, he was reintegrated. Everybody in Voyager seems like they were reintegrated back with their selves. And so maybe in a couple hundred years after that, they have a way of integrating people faster and during the timeline because yeah. Archer still has all his memories too. Yeah, but then they'd have to deintegrate him again. So it's kind of confusing. Maybe, maybe they can. I mean, it seems or like it, yeah. maybe it's simpler because they're just transporting Archer back in his mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a soul time travel. 
<laughs> yeah, it was crazy too. That scene I thought was really well done because Archer turns off the lights and getting ready for bed. And he's like, come on, Porthos, like jump on up. And Porthos isn't jumping on the bed. And he's like, eh, like, what's wrong, bud? Like you always snuggle with me. And then he goes to turn on his light and he's back in his quarters in San Francisco. And Porthos has his like cute little bed that he's sleeping in. Did he transport Porthos too? I'm just, <laughs> I'm wondering. Yeah, we really need to interview Porthos for this podcast. Like, do you remember this when you were chilling on Earth, Porthos? <laughs> I feel yeah. like he would freak out. So I think Porthos does not travel with Yeah, like that's Archer. past Porthos. Because I feel like, I mean, Porthos is smart enough. He's a, he's a good boy. He would freak the F out if he realized he was in a different room, don't you think? Well, but that begs the question then that Archer had just asked what is happening to Porthos those laying in the bed in the future but i guess that future hasn't happened happened yet huh confusing so maybe that is just past porthos (laughs) (laughs) we're really getting down to what's important in this this series yeah (laughs) i also was really impressed with archer because he remembered the exact conversation he was having with trip and i'm pretty positive if you transported me 10 months in the past and asked me to just jump in on a conversation there's no way I'd be able to remember exactly what was being said or that I was going to get breakfast with my friend the next morning like you know I was just impressed with Archer and his stellar memory yeah I have a weird memory like that too where I remember really specific conversations and I remember like where they were taking place and stuff so I was like oh yeah that seems right (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, I was just thinking, actually, the only reason I'm able to even do this pod is because of your amazing brain and how (laughs) you remember every single quote from every possible episode. So yeah, that does track. (laughs) Thank you. But you also remember all of the crazy technology stuff that goes straight past me. So (laughs) yeah, well, I love fake time travel jargon. So (laughs) it's one of my passions. (laughs) Oh, so Okay, another question about 10 months in the past. Daniel says that this is the only place that's safe. And we're going to see this a lot in this episode. We already talked about Carpenter Street, how the Zindi reptiles go back to the past to hide. Yeah. And I just don't like this. I don't like it. (laughs) I just feel like it's weird that it's safer in a different timeline but maybe it makes sense. Is this really the best thing for Daniels to do? Risk contaminating a random time period, especially one so important as before the launch of a Warp 5 ship. It just seems risky. Why is he doing this? Why can't he just take Archer to the Delta Quadrant or something? Yeah, I wonder this too. And I think honestly, it comes from Daniels just maybe freaking out a little bit and being like, ah, I have to take him somewhere. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I don't forget know. that Daniels is human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like half of his decisions are just spur of the moment. Maybe. I don't know. I, he just yeah. doesn't seem that organized, <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah, and desperate. And I guess I have to keep reminding myself that he is in a war, and I'm sure his present timeline, where he naturally rests in the future, is incredibly stressful and awful. And I'm sure things are constantly changing all of the time because of what's happening in this past war. So, okay, I'll give him some grace <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good question. So we find out that Daniel says that history never recorded the disaster of the colonists getting killed. And so that's how he knows that it was a sabotage intended to stop Archer's mission. I'm assuming before they could destroy the sphere. So this was like a long game. But it was the Sulaban, so maybe not. I don't know how much the Sulaban are connected to the Zindi, if at all. I think they're just sort of in different parts of the Temporal Cold War. 
I mean, you're right, these temporal agents are very overworked because they're constantly looking at past events and how they ripple back to the future and see if any of them are wrong. It sounds exhausting. It really does. Well, and I think this also was probably an easy event to track because there are no cloaked ships in the 22nd century. And so when Daniels's organization is scanning the past, it's easy to see, oh, this is wrong. <laughs> this ship should not be here in this time. Okay, let's jump a little bit to the instructions that he gives Archer because he's telling Archer, go into my quarters, grab some future stuff, and we have to make technology that will allow you to see the cloaked ship. And this is a huge endeavor for them. And I'm very surprised that T'Pol is not convinced by this. And she's still claiming that time travel is not real. Well, if the Vulcan science directorate says it is, then that's an end-all be-all, I guess, for her. See, if we really get into this, it's going to be an episode about how Vulcans are actually incredibly close-minded. So I can't... (laughs) I mean, especially this century, so... Yeah, and it... Oh, God, but they don't really change. Anyway, so... Yeah. I'm just going to shut it down before it gets more out of control. But I was also thinking about Sherlock because Spock frequently quotes Sherlock. There's the famous line that's, you know, just say it. (laughs) Rihanna's waiting to say it. She's like bursting (laughs) to say it. (laughs) It's, oh, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Yes. And so I feel like this is the only explanation for how Archer went to bed and then woke up with the knowledge of how to see a cloaked Suleban ship. And I'm just surprised that T'Pol is not more readily aware of that. But maybe Spock is only able to embrace this Sherlock logic because he's half human. And because he's seen the improbable. And he's seen the impossible way more than T'Pol has. T'Pol is still kind of a baby. This is one of her first long missions. She's with a bunch of humans. She feels probably pretty isolated and trying to cling to her Vulcan ways in order to just survive on a ship of humans. I mean, if it was hard enough for Spock to be on a ship of humans when he's half human, I think it's got to be very difficult for T'Pol. And we see her struggle with this transition. So I have a lot of empathy for her because I think that she's trying to cling to her Vulcan logic and her ways because they're aggressive technique for her amidst all this human chaos. Yeah, Rena, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. She is baby. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty young. At she's only point. 66. So Aww. <laughs> remember those years. <laughs> I do find it interesting, though, that she doesn't believe it because they are looking at all this future technology that clearly doesn't come from this time, not even something Vulcans have created yet. And Vulcans are very technologically savvy. Like Malcolm also wants to take advantage of Daniel's tech to use them as weapons because Malcolm is always craving violence and Malcolm loves weapons. weapons no matter the century he's into weapons even we didn't talk about this with mom but I was laughing in the Nazi episode because he was looking at all of the weapons that the Germans were using and he was like oh nice a p52 like that's <laughs> <Yeah>. so cool <laughs> like no wonder he didn't get married in the e2 timeline because he's yeah. married to his weapons <laughs> <laughs> It's just a boy and his guns. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that got a little dark. I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's 
crazy that they are able to use Daniel's tech in order to see the cloak ship, to see that there was a problem with the ducks or whatever that spewed the tetrazine that ignited the atmosphere on the planet. So Archer got all these instructions. I surely think he must have taken notes because they were very specific and I would not have remembered everything. But like we just said, Archer has a great memory. So yeah, I was actually thinking about that myself because even 30 minutes in the episode, but probably for Archer, it's probably been like eight hours or longer. He is still giving very specific instructions to the rest of the crew, like numbers and calculations. (laughs) I was just impressed with Archer and I feel like he definitely wrote it down or watched (laughs) it video or something watch that youtube (laughs) video yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it's always a weird and random trope in a lot of tv where someone gives them like a phone number and you don't see them write it down and then like an hour or two later they're like just remember the phone number i'm like i can barely remember my own phone number (laughs) so yeah seriously Also, I thought it was hilarious because we do have these future, I mean, literally the subtitles for every time we see the Suleban talking to the person on the screen, the subtitles say future man. (laughs) So that's what I've been calling him. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Future man. (laughs) We see future man talking to the Suleban and being the director of all of this, the behind the scenes. I thought he was a lot like Palpatine, just sort of hanging out in the shadows, giving orders, not quite there, just like projecting on a screen being evil. You know, I'm pretty sure Brandon Braga and Rick Berman thought if we make a Star Wars reference 30 years after Star Wars, no one will notice. <laughs> and I was like, that's Palpatine. Yeah, <laughs> and everyone's immediately like, this is Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do have to remember that the prequels were coming out at the same time period. And so sci-fi is always influencing itself totally forever so yeah I, absolutely i totally agree though this guy is palpatine this <laughs> yeah. future man this fear builder he's literally building the death star so yeah um literally. anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh i also just want to pop in a couple fun facts and yeah. just so we can think a little bit about the future including next episode just to reestablish, the future man is from the 29th century daniels is from the 31st century and Discovery Season 3 takes place in the year 3188. So literally, I mean, we've talked about this before. Everyone knows that Discovery is the furthest we've ever gone in the timeline. This is absolutely true. And so I'm excited to talk about that more in the future. And yeah, in part two of this, there's a whole big buildup where Silic is here. He's on the cloaked Suleban ship. Surprise! I'm sure no one was shocked by that. Yeah. And he wants Archer specifically. He doesn't just want Enterprise. He doesn't just want to destroy the ship. He wants Archer because the future man <laughs> wants Archer. Yeah. There's this whole countdown where he's saying, I'll destroy Enterprise if you don't come on my ship, Archer, in the next minute or whatever. Archer is going. He's on his way. But as soon as he steps into the turbo lift, Daniels does his thing and pulls him into the 31st century. This is an actual Pogo paradox right here. And if you did not listen to our Voyager episode, that is where you use time travel because you're trying to fix a problem. But then by using time travel, you have actually caused the problem. And so this is exactly what Daniels was because the future man wanted Archer because he's such an important figure in history. And so Daniel said, cool, I'll take him instead. (laughs) And he wrecks the future, this 
city that they're in is dust. It looks like ancient Greece. Like everything has turned to rubble. There's no statue about the Federation in the downtown. And Daniel's is apparently obsessed with the statue because that's all he talks about the whole episode. He's like, where's the statue? (laughs) Um, I was actually hoping it was a statue of Miles O'Brien. Me too. I was thinking this the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Lower Decks. You've ruined every time I think about a statue now. I think about (laughs) O'Brien. And Boimler. Um, And Boimler, yeah. So the other huge change, obviously, besides the whole city being destroyed, the other big change in this future is that all of the books are paper. I mean, we know from Star Trek there's no paper books unless it's somebody's birthday and they're giving them an ancient (laughs) artifact. (laughs) Sorry, that absolutely got me. Thank you. Or yeah. Picard. Yeah, he's oh like, oh, this is my copy of Hamlet. <laughs> he exclusively <laughs> yeah. reads paper books. What a what a, yeah. what a dork. He's, yeah, the whole future in Daniel's timeline and in Star Trek is ebooks, which makes me sad and makes me remember to tell you to go shop at your local bookstore today. Yeah, also, um, um, there's a website called Thrift Books that ooh. you won't be supporting Amazon, so go do that. Ooh, yeah. And they're yeah. cheap. This episode is sponsored, sponsored. by books. <laughs> Go buy one. (laughs) Not from Amazon. So we get these great scenes of Archer and Daniels going to their local library and taking a stroll. And I love how Daniels picks up like eight books at a time. Like he's getting ready to do a research paper. (laughs) (laughs) And he's laying them all out. And he's saying that everything that happened before the 22nd century looks fine. And everything after is really wrong. And so I kind of was wishing that they would have explored more and talked about what other weird stuff might have happened. I think the only reference that we get is Archer opens up a book and he's like, what is the Romulan Star Empire? Which is funny because literally the only difference is there's no star in the title of the Romulan (laughs) Empire. That made me laugh because Archer has never seen a Romulan before. There's no Romulans in Enterprise at all. Daniels said, maybe you should put that book down. This is why I'm convinced that Daniels is not the most competent of time agents. He's freeform. He's just doing his best. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because he should have realized that taking Archer out of this situation is not a good solution. No one could have predicted that it would catastrophically make the entire future collapse into dust. I think he still should have thought this through, thinking, hmm, maybe if I pluck Archer from his own time out of the blue, that probably is not good yeah i'm forced to wonder who is daniels reporting to my brain keeps coming back to this question because it's not daniels alone fighting the suliban obviously and so why didn't he consult with anyone about how will this happen it would have been nice to get some scenes with his own palpatine that he's talking to (laughs) i mean the only reference we get is to when we see this destroyed future and he says this is exactly where my office used to be And this is where I was working. And now it's dust. He does talk about the Federation. And so I am assuming that he works for the Federation. So it's probably some faction similar to Section 31. Perhaps just a time travel agency that is connected to Starfleet. Like the one that visits Cisco and interferes with Janeway and everything with Captain Braxton. Yeah. So maybe that's just the same agency. But I'm just saying, I would like to know. (laughs) Same. This is wild though, because we also find out that the Suliban cannot hail Future Man. He is MIA. And Silic is really stressed about this. He's like, please, master, or whatever he calls him. (laughs) He's like, turns into Dobby. (laughs) 
<laughs> He's like, master, help me. Yeah, because he can't hail him or whatever. And I think this is also because the spear wielders were destroyed. Like everything was destroyed, it seems like. They don't even have the technology to send Archer back and they have to use Archer's tricorder and communicator in order to jerry-rig a solution which is so cool classic starfleet officers using what they have in order to make it work and they really do they're able to project archer's head into t'pol's quarters and she's like why are you not on my view screen why are you floating head like what's going on but luckily she listens to him right away and they get a plan in motion and it works you know i mean it's kind of crazy this technology they were able to use archers for daniel's ancient technology and use it to then essentially hack into the Sulabon's ship system where the future man always projects himself and then Archer is able to protect his whole body because I guess they learned how to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, don't think about it. <laughs> don't think about it too hard. Yeah. Don't think about it too hard. I really like the line where Daniels and Archer are working together to modify the tricorder because Daniel says, I learned to do this in high school. And I know the line is supposed to be just a quick and easy way of saying this future is so advanced and everyone's so smart that this is something like algebra, you know, that we would do in high school. But I also thought it was indicative of how intense the temporal cold war must have gotten because this is a very specific skill to time travel. And so this makes me think that the culture he's living in is obsessed with time travel Mm -hmm. because if you're teaching your teenagers how to do this, It makes me think that the teachers or the society believes that they will use this skill. Yeah, it just made me think how scary that would be to live in a time where your past or future could be changed at the drop of a hat. And yeah, oof, war is not good, even temporal war. Oh, especially temporal war. Yeah. I also, just a side note that I thought was very Star Trek was when the rest of the Enterprise crew are locked in their quarters because the Sulaban took over the ship and they're communicating through their wall communicator things. Mm-hmm. And Hoshi is this person small enough to climb through the ducts and to get into Phlox's chambers and she's super claustrophobic. And so I was like, yet again, another Star Trek character battling their claustrophobia in a tough situation. <laughs> I was like, dang, like they got to learn on the fly. (laughs) I'm glad that they're just, you know, being real with people who have fears like that. Yeah. And and how you can push through it if you need to. (laughs) Yeah. I wrote at the end of this episode, rip that colony, because like you said, (laughs) they don't come back. (laughs) Yeah. I also love Daniel's outfit. I don't think we talked about that yet, but the whole fashion world of the 31st century is awful. I mean, it it looks just like (laughs) coils wrapped around his body. (laughs) All black, which I love. I wear all black a lot. So I really vibe with that. They look like ropes, like black ropes. Yeah, they look like black ropes on his shirt and pants. And it's a jumpsuit, too. It's all bad. Maybe it is just that's what Section 31 looks like. Maybe they've merged with the time travel agency and they're just wearing weird clothes. Maybe it's easier for them to time travel in those weird clothes. 
I like that this episode ended with Archer calling Silic an ugly bastard too. Mm-hmm. That was a nice touch nice. because Silic thinks that he's talking to the future man, but he's really talking to Archer and he gives him a nice punch. Oh yeah, um, when he comes in, literally kicking. <laughs> yes, literally, yeah, comes in kicking back into the world. <laughs> this was a fun one. I forgot to mention when we were talking about Cold Front, but both Cold Front and Twilight are directed by Robert Duncan McNeil, who plays Paris hey. in Voyager. Okay, I saw that, but I didn't write that down. Thank you, Rihanna. That is so awesome. I've forgotten that he directs episodes. Yeah, when I looked him up on IMDb, he's listed first as a director. So he must have done a lot more work in directing than in acting. I'm not sure what else he's been in besides Voyager. But it's really cool because these are some fantastic episodes. I mean, Twilight is definitely a top tier Enterprise episode. And I'm just really impressed by Robert Duncan McNeil. I didn't really realize that he was a director because he didn't do any directing for Voyager or I don't think any other series. So. I mean, I just love that Star Trek has such a strong foundation that once you star in a series, they'll just let you do whatever you want. I mean, they even let William Shatner direct the, the Final movie. Frontier. So yeah, they'll Sky's let you do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Okay, thank you so much for saying that. And yeah. I do agree that Twilight is perhaps a god tier level episode of Enterprise. The time travel element of it is very specific. It's specific yeah. to the parasites that are living on Archer's brain for this episode. And I was definitely on the fence about watching it for this series because this wave that hits Archer and he protects to pull, it's like an anomaly that happens in space. And so it's this shock wave that is shockwave lol that's the episode yeah this anomaly sweeps through the corridor it gives archer these parasites on his brain that are temporal parasites and it stops him from being able to form long-term memories so poor guy after 12 hours goes by he already has forgotten what he's been doing over the day or whatever so years yeah over the uh, yeah exactly and that's what it becomes time goes by archer has no memories past the day that he was injured and we find out that it has been 12 years have gone by. T'Pol has given up her position as first captain. officer on Enterprise. Yeah, captain on Enterprise. And she's retired from the Vulcan high, not high command. <laughs> that would be cool. Be so cool. <laughs> she was on the Vulcan high command. She's <laughs> retired from her duties with the Vulcans. And she's just living with Archer as his nurse and perhaps implied lover on this planet. And also in this future terribly the zindi have destroyed earth and so all of the humans that are remaining have been flying out to different colonies and settling there and that's where archer and topol are living not just some random colony city alpha six no no way no way okay wait did we talk about that in our love and affection i I clean forgot (laughs) oh that's oh my god did she see khan (laughs) no khan's not there yet (laughs) too early but city alpha Alpha six (laughs) (laughs) again another good preview for our villain series coming up (laughs) so they were able to use subspace radiation in order to eradicate the parasites and flocks has been working on this procedure for 
Oh, like 12 years. The yeah. entire time Archer's been injured, he's been working on it. I mean, Phlox dropped everything to do his research for Archer and it works. I mean, this is the beautiful thing about it is that it shows that their hard work and the time and dedication they took to save Archer paid off because they were determined to help him and in doing so, alter their own futures and alter everyone else's futures. I mean, practically everyone has their own ship at this point, like every other character, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. In 12 years. Like, and I was kind of laughing, like Archer even has that line he's like did everybody get their own ship while I was gone and Hoshi's like not me sir yeah (laughs) yeah so this is such crazy science to me because when Phlox is working on irradiating the part with the subspace particle or whatever he uses, he focuses on just one part of the brain first to test it. And he sees that it vanishes from every single medical scan he's ever taken of Archer, which is just so wild. And because these are time traveling parasites, when it's complete, it will be as if this never happened. And so eradicating the parasites has time changing effects which is so hard to wrap my brain around. It's only one person. So how would that affect everyone's future? But because Archer is the person, everything stems around Archer, as we know from this series. It's just wild. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think it's because Archer is the captain of Enterprise and Archer's interchangeable. So if Enterprise had launched from space dock with Tom Paris as the captain, he would have been the one who was at the focal point of all of this, like the founding of the Federation and everything like that, because you're a symbol. Even if you're a terrible captain, you still have power and you still have influence. And I'm not saying Archer is a terrible captain at all. I think this is the reason why the parasites specifically infecting the captain of the Enterprise who was going to start the Federation and had so much impact on the future. This is exactly why. Yeah, literally saves Earth because he is the one who makes Enterprise function the best. And so with his brain and manpower and ability to tell everybody where to go on the ship and what to do, yeah, he can save Earth <laughs> that way. Yeah. I'm just wondering, where's Daniels in all of this? Like, so, if I, he's yeah. going to come from any episode to save him. Why? I was just going to say that. And especially because in these next couple episodes we're going to talk about, this is literally all that Daniels does is anytime Archer is in a stressful situation where he could die or Archer makes a decision that, oh, I'm going to do something, but it might cause my death. Daniels comes back and says, hey, don't do that. We need you. And he's increasingly desperate. Here's my thought. I'm going to bring up what we talked about with mom. And that's that everyone always keeps their memories in Enterprise about what happened. But in this episode, nobody has their memories about the other timeline that happened. And so I think that's why Daniels doesn't come back because it wasn't in the record books. There was no captain's log about how I lost my memory and it's been 12 years and here I am, you know. Very good point, Ashley. So I think that's why Daniels isn't here because it's really out of character for him to not pop up in this episode. So yeah, that's that's my theory. I think that's exactly right. This is why we're talking about this episode in this series because it's not anomaly. Even though it's an anomaly that strikes the ship, the actual time travel occurs when Phlox miraculously, amazingly destroys these parasites from Archer's brain. Well, and parasites are beings, so they count as a time travel entity. Yes, you're right. Parasites, they matter. Thank you. Parasites have rights too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, rights for parasites is definitely what I would chant in the street. (laughs) 
only if it was Parasite the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, love that. Yes, yes, yes. I just want to continue the Fox love a little bit. Oh, yeah. And the T'Pol love because the breakthroughs that he could have for science is also really, really important too. And so I'm sure as much as he cared about Archer, he was also really excited to have this breakthrough and see if he could even do it and get rid of these parasites. Well, I mean, he's using subspace radiation, so that's got to be a completely newfangled medical find. Yeah. Sounds insane. Yeah, well, I think we've even seen in these episodes that a lot of the times when we're looking at these alternate timelines of what could have happened, we will see, like what Phlox does, these amazing, amazing discoveries in science, like what the doctor does with Kess in creating this chamber. So I just think it's interesting to see that whatever you need, whatever anybody needs for the situation, they will dedicate themselves to creating it because it's going to help someone or whatever. And it makes me think about the COVID vaccine. Obviously, humanity has faced all kinds of diseases and we've always needed vaccines to protect ourselves from them. And so the mRNA vaccine that is being used in the COVID vaccine has been researched and tested for over 80 years and that's how we were able to get a vaccine out so quickly is so because cool. it's founded on technology and science that has been developing for almost a full century. So just like go beings <laughs> for working hard and creating amazing science, doing amazing things with science because you have a thought that you want to do a thing and you can't do it. And so you work your tail off for 12 years until you can save Archer's life. So anyway, but then think about T'Pol gets no science victory. She gets no Nobel Peace Prize. All she gets is Archer who doesn't remember anything. And tells her that she would be a good nurse. Yep. And that's it. So yeah, I know we talked about Archer and T'Pol in our Love and Affection series. Let's talk a little bit about Azadi Prime. Yeah. So we are back on the chemosite, my friends. Here we go. <laughs> This is the same stuff that Quark and Rom and Nog were smuggling, mostly Quark, in Little Green Men. So I thought that was a nice little throwback there. Thank you for, yeah, I totally did not remember that. Thank you, Rihanna. Yeah, and that's what they used along with the A-bomb to get back. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this episode is, again, Daniel's floundering, <laughs> trying to figure out how to convince Archer to not do a dangerous thing. And he takes Archer 400 years into the future on Enterprise J just to show him that there are Zindi serving aboard the Enterprise, which means that the Zindi have joined the Federation. And this is a huge deal for Archer. And I mean, it's exciting for me. I don't think I remembered that the Zindi were part of the Federation. So I'm glad they're joining. But so what's happening on the Enterprise in our normal 22nd century is there is a mission where they have to pilot the shuttle underwater and it's gonna destroy I think the facility where the sphere builders are building the spheres. Yes. Archer chooses himself for this mission after a lot of consideration. So they're teaming up with Degra. Archer's going underwater <laughs> <laughs> on this planet and it's a really dangerous mission and he chooses himself instead of someone expendable, which is exactly what Daniels is trying to say. But Archer knows that, no, I have to do it. I'm the one who got everybody into this mess. I'm pulled into the temporal cold war. It has to be me. But this is why Daniels brings him to the future is he's trying to say, hey, buddy, we need you. All of this can't happen without you. So maybe don't be so reckless. 
And he's trying to convince Archer that there can be another peaceful solution. So when he's showing him that the future, that there are Zindi in the future Enterprise, he also says, I think they have a talk with Degra, which I don't know how he's still alive. I guess they live a long, long time. But um, he talks with Degra from the future. And Degra says that he felt immense guilt after they destroyed the like seven, 10 million, however many people on earth on the first attack in Florida and down the coast. And he said he thought about, oh, probably a lot of them were innocent in this. Probably a lot of them were children or had families or stuff like that. So it's showing that he had empathy. And so then when Archer is able to go back into the past to this mission, he uses peace as a last resort, which I think is hilarious. That's Archer's punch first, peace later. (laughs) (laughs) But he does eventually use that as his final card of like, hey, I've heard you say this in the future and he's like how would you have known that and so he's able to convince Degra so it's cool because then it does get them on their side which is essential like literally without this they would not have been able to destroy the sphere later it's such a great turning point for them because Degra helped them out through all of their journey in the expanse him and that other dude the other monkey guy I don't know his name what do they call the uh, guy the primate Zindi Yeah. yeah they were so integral in their fight to stop them from destroying earth and to stop the insectoids and the aquatics so i was really impressed by that at the end that archer finally set aside his anger and his hatred for zindi as a total because he probably thinks the same thing like not every zindi is looking to destroy earth you know there's got to be people out there who sympathize and there are so absolutely and this starts to expose the fractures that are happening between the different races of the zindi and especially on the council specifically, because it sounds like everybody on the council agrees with Archer and wants to have peace and stop this, but the reptilians are not having it. And the insectoids. Oh, and the insectoids, both. Why does Star Trek villainize the reptiles and the insects? <laughs> yeah, you don't see like the manatee Zindi angry about this. I think that's honestly because their infrastructure doesn't allow them to do a lot. <laughs> no offense, but like they kind of just got to chill underwater most of the time. <laughs> Uh, yeah aquatics have rights (laughs) well yeah this is a cool episode and i love this early 2000s take on diplomacy this is not picard making a speech in front of a trial and a jury this is archer desperately saying in the middle of all this crazy war let's try for some peace and i love your punch first peace later because that's absolutely his main diplomacy plan i mean it's cowboy diplomacy just as spock says about kirk and his crew it's the same kind of vibe from this era (laughs) yeah it really is it really is and a lot more action scenes too in this one they're like oh you think star trek is talky think again here's some punches (laughs) yeah now now we punch and say goddamn ugly bastard to (laughs) silik i also really love the one line in this episode where i can't remember who says it but they're like our recent trip to detroit changed my mind oh it's it's to pull <laughs> <It's Depaul. laughs> i don't think i would ever say that that a recent trip to, to detroit changed my mind about anything but <laughs> i know i know i love that so this last episode we're going to talk about zero hour i thought is remarkably similar 
to Azadi Prime, actually. And again, Daniels, he only has one trick up his sleeve, and that's bring Archer to the future to give him spoilers about what's going to happen <laughs> and convince him that he's a super important part of the future. This is all that Daniels does, and it doesn't work. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again with the same result. And at this point, I would think from Daniel's perspective, the future's okay and whatever Archer is doing, we have to trust him. And he's the one who created this future, so we have to let him take control a little bit. And every time that he's in danger, he can't be coming back in time to help him out. Literally, because the track that Archer's on is working. This is an episode where like we see in the beginning the spear builders are saying that their good timelines are collapsing when they should be expanding and they're wondering why and it's because the enterprise crew is currently succeeding in their mission to destroy the sphere and destroy all of their death star planet killing technology <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool to see that the sphere builders and the villains are starting to get fearful that they're gonna lose but yes. i also really like that degra says in this episode that the guardians promises were empty and it's true his realization of like they were really wrong we're really glad we sided with you because we don't want to see more humans die for no reason when you weren't even the cause of our destruction or our pain that was just what the sphere builders made up and put on the humans so it's cool that they all have these moments of realization and that of course they end up victorious but yeah i don't think daniels didn't necessarily have to do that no, I think that actor just wanted a paycheck that week and said, hey, can I come on and <laughs> try to stop Archer from doing this thing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because Archer has strong main character energy and he's very noble and that nobility comes at a price of his own self a lot of time because he's very self-sacrificial. He puts a lot of burden on his shoulders. He has a righteous cause all the time, you know? And I think that's what infuriates Daniel so much is the fact that Archer is constantly trying to be the person who's destroying the ship and trying to die in the process. Even not if he's intentionally trying to die, but he knows a lot of times that this is a one-way trip. We got a hint of this in the episode Shockwave, but I can't help but think that Archer really has a lot of things on his conscience that he feels like he can atone for. He has the hardest job in the galaxy. Captaining the first Warp 5 capable vessel is tough. And to be the face of diplomacy, the face of Starfleet, the representative of humans everywhere is a lot of pressure. And I know he takes his job very, very seriously. So I'm sure every single mistake weighs on him. Every life lost weighs on him. And he's the first captain to deal with all of this. So it's not like he he can go call Kirk and complain about how tough the job is. He's really pioneering in every sense of the word. And so I think he is eager to be self-sacrificial in these situations because he thinks I have to atone for that thing I did on Tuesday that I can't forget mm -hmm. about. You know, I messed up the shifts on Enterprise and I didn't give anyone a break and I need to sacrifice myself. No, but <laughs> yeah, I think Archer is so 100% into this 
journey that he's willing to completely sacrifice his life for it. So, I mean, very admirable in this way. Archer's great. I understand why he does this. And and because of him and because of the way that Archer is, that's how the Federation is formed. So, wow. Yeah, great job. it works out for great sure. <laughs> he did an impeccable job saving Earth and starting the Federation, you know, casually. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was interesting this time when Daniels takes him into the future, it's seven years in the future, and we actually see the start of the Federation. Mm. Um, I was surprised we didn't see Riker watching it from his holodeck view with Troy. Oh my god. <laughs> but we're essentially seeing like the finale. <laughs> you had to bring that up, didn't you? You just had to go there. Wow. I what mean... a way to end this podcast, Ashlyn. <laughs> Bringing up like... he who must not be named. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought I thought it was cool. We don't get to see that scene too often where the actual formation of the Federation and I would love to see a fake documentary about the founding of Starfleet. So Same. and the Federation. So if anyone wants to do that, just let me know and <laughs> I'll <Holodex>. like <laughs> uh, uh, Okay, you're right. I'll talk <laughs> with you. Thank you. Yeah, please do it. My big fan. <laughs> Wow. Well, Rihanna, this has been really, really fun. And again, I'm just struck by podcast after podcast. Every format of these episodes have been different because every series is so different. And even though there's a lot of time travel stereotypes or (laughs) repeats in the writing and things like that and the similar process, the way that each character interacts with time travel and handles it has been so different. And it's been so much fun to talk about this with you. I've really had a blast and I think it's been leading us to conversations that I never expected to have in this series. So yeah, great. Yeah, Ashlyn, I 100% agree and it's really cool that like we haven't seen a slingshot around the sun since TOS and mm-hmm. they are using different forms of time travel and being really creative about it and I just really enjoy this and I'm really, really ecstatic to talk about Discovery next week, even though it is going to be a really meaty episode. It might be our longest one. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, we have not even talked about how we're going to tackle Discovery. (laughs) Yeah, because how do you? (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to figure that out and we'll be here talking about it. So I am just so happy. Thank you all for tuning in and We want to again thank our mom, Michelle Hurd, for joining us on this podcast. It was a joy to talk to her about Star Trek, and we look forward to having more guests in the future. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the sixth episode of our time travel series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss time travel in Star Trek Discovery. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. And our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Arilla Voltaire. Uh, Trip, or should I say, Commander, I uh, heard you finished up with the podcast. Congratulations. Real good job done. So uh, give me a communique back. 
and uh, I'm happy to help you choose a title. I hope you and Paul are having a lovely anniversary. I sure wish someday I will have an anniversary of my own. So, but hey, go and rock Monday next weekend. Can't wait. Laura and I are going to have a great time. All right. Well, Archer out.